Let's just remain standing a moment while we pray. Let's bow our heads. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this grand privilege of approaching Thy throne of mercy again tonight. In the all-sufficient name of Jesus, Thy Son, we thank Thee because that we have the perfect assurance that if we ask anything in His name, it will be granted. So there are many here tonight who are needy. They're sick in body. Some of them are sick in soul. We pray, Father, that you will supply everything that they have need of, salvation for their soul above all things, and healing for the sick, joy for those that are sorrowing, hope for those who are hopeless. Grant it, Lord, and when the service shall end tonight and we go to our different homes, places of abode, may we say like those who came from Emmaus that day. Did not our hearts burn within as he talked to us along the way? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And it is Jesus. <clears throat> Such a privilege to be back here again tonight in this uh, long beach in the Missile Auditorium. It's been several years since I was here, about 46 or 47 somewhere like that. I believe I followed the service of a great servant of the Lord, uh, Dr. Charles Fuller. He said, the old-fashioned revival hour used to start and was created here. Great servant of the Lord. I hear now that he doesn't have his services here anymore. I always wanted to meet Brother Fuller. I never had that grand privilege. I remember coming into South Africa about seven or eight years ago, an audience of about 250,000 people. You, some of you Long Beach people, you never guessed what they greeted me with when I come on the platform saying in about 15 different languages, all blending together, Heavenly Sunshine. They were singing Heavenly Sunshine, which I believe was Dr. Fuller's theme song. And, uh, I always thought if I got to meet him, I would like to tell him that, that his messages had got down into the way down into South Africa. And those precious people loved him and knew me being an American, saying, Heavenly sunshine or sunlight, every which way it goes. And they were saying it in 15 different languages altogether. You never, but all blending just perfectly. The Holy Spirit. When people get together and the love of God starts moving upon them, there's no friction. It's just all one great big body moving together. Dr. F. S. Bosworth, which is one of the managers, he just stood, he led sympathies. He was taking the Dowie 75 piece band to uh, Madison Square Garden in the days of Dr. Alexander Dowie. And he said he had trained the choir. You'd get somebody a few octaves or whatever what you call it, high and some few low, but said, in those raw heathen, blanket natives, didn't know which is right and left hand, and then at war with one another, had to separate them and try. Yet they were not one octave out at all, everyone bending right together. Uh, heavenly sunshine. If anybody knows Brother Fuller, uh, tell him that for me. Uh, don't guess I may never get to see him. He's a busy man, and I don't like to take the time. But it was certainly thrilling. 
the gospel, and yet in its simplicity is the greatest uh, drawing card the world has ever known. Jesus said when he was here on earth, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Black, white, yellow, brown, whatever their color or race is, the gospel still holds the center of attraction to every man and every woman. And I do believe that our churches should be just a little farther advanced in the gospel than what we are. I think that we contribute that. I do, and if I'm wrong, I pray the Lord forgive me. I think we try to look back too much to see what somebody else has done or said instead of looking forward to Christ. He's our leader. A few hundred years ago, I may be mistaken in this quotation, but I'd say 300 years ago, I believe it was a scientist in France that tried to take a ball and whirl it around the earth or something. It might have been 150 years ago, and whirl it around the earth and with the speed and claim if any vehicle on earth would ever move the terrific speed of 30 miles an hour, the gra gravitation lose its hold and go right off the earth. Now that was scientifically proven in that day. Do you think any science would look back and say, to that? I see where they got a plane now, I forget, around 5,000 miles an hour at the time. And they don't stop even at that. They keep going on. Oh. But we Christians, and we clergymen and ministers, we try to look back at our school and see what Mr. Moody said about it, Mr. what Mr. Sankey said, or, or Finney, or Knox, or Calvin, or any of those. Now, they were great men in their days. But see, we're always looking back. That's the forward. We've got untapped resources. Now, science can only climb so high, then they have to leave. Go back. The tree of knowledge only produces so much. That was set before us in the Garden of Eden, and a human being is prone to live from that tree of knowledge. But it never was God's plan for us to live from that tree of knowledge. The first time man took a bite from the tree of knowledge, he separated his fellowship from God. Every time he takes a bite off that tree, he destroys himself continually. He bit off gunpowder, what that does, killed his comrade. Bit off automobile, that kills more than the gunpowder. Now he's got an atomic and hydrogen bomb, still eating from that tree of knowledge, which finally will send him back to his destination. But the tree of life that he left willfully to eat from the tree of knowledge, then there's where he leaves alone. I believe that science now, I was test for one of those meter tests on your arm about this light angel of the Lord and the scientific picture was taken of it. You have it right here now. It's been taken over the world different places. A picture of the same pillar of fire that followed the children of Israel. Scientifically proven. George J. Lacey, the head of the FBI, the fingerprinting document, he examined it to see if it was right. He said, not psychology, said the mechanical eye of the camera won't take psychology. Now, instead of advancing on and see what God promised, we look back and see what some brother behind us said. Let's don't look back, look forward, keep moving on, on. We have untapped resources. Jesus said in St. Mark 7, 23, 
whatsoever, what you say to this mountain, be moved, and don't doubt your heart, but believe that what you have said will come to pass, you can have what you said. No, no conditions. It's not, it's unlimited. Whatsoever the things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, you shall have them. Whatever. Divine healing, joy, peace, anything. Now you say, Brother Ben, what if we'd ask for something that, uh, somebody's life to be taken or some evil thing? Well, you couldn't really have Christian faith or things like that. It takes a Christian spirit to ask Christian things to receive things from Christ. You must have always remember, uh, church, God's words are truth. I believe the right mental attitude towards any divine promise of God will bring us to pass, if you can look at it the right way. But remember, here's been my, my standard in life. I have tried to do this. The first thing, I want to find out whether it's the will of God or not. That, then I know it's God's will. The next thing is my objective to it and my motive in doing it. Then if it's the will of God and my objective is right and my motive is right, I have faith that it'll be done. Because first it's the will of God and I have, and my objective is to glorify him and my motive is to give him all the glory. So there's no selfish motives about it. If you have a selfish motive, it won't work. If your objective is to make money for yourself or something, why, you'll never succeed. And then try to do something outside of the will of the Lord, then it won't work to begin with. So there is genuine faith, but you must come into the real channel of God to have that genuine faith. There's human faith, then there's faith of God. And you must have the godly faith to believe. Not then to have godly faith, you must have the mind of Christ in you. Then that's how God projects to you visions, revelations, and all these things come by the mind of Christ being in you. Get it? Let the mind that was in Christ be in you. Well, it thrills me tonight again to say to be back here in Long Beach after many years. I remember when I first came in here, there was a whole lot of doubt about the ministry. I was about the only one on the field at that time having healing campaign. I remember how they were so criticized. I remember the night when I left here and I listened to the thrilling message of Dr. Fuller. I sat along out here that afternoon and heard his great, stirring, powerful teaching message. I see his audience leave fine people, intelligent, nice-looking, clean people. See them all leave the building. That was his audience. And I hear come mine in in straight jackets, wheelchairs. I thought, that's quite a little thing different than Dr. Thatcher's face. You see, we've got to know. But it was a challenge to the Word of God which God had promised that was true and he'd stand behind it. Around the world, I've been with this message. Not one time has God ever failed me. And after about 14 years since being in here, I stand tonight with the same message the long beach that I had when I come here. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. He's not dimish one bit. He has never failed me. I've stood before witch doctors and devils and drinking blood in a human skull and calling on the devil and challenging you right down 
And I've never seen one time that a challenge has ever made but what God moved on the scene and done a great thing. Uh, I challenge our faith tonight to believe the Lord Jesus. We have had a great week, or two weeks, with Brother Bunting of the Assembly of God Church here in the city. I have learned to love Brother Bunting as a brother could only love another. I didn't hardly know him when I came in here. I heard of his gallant father in Canada, which is a great man servant of Christ. And then I met his brother, I had that privilege. I met other brethren here in fellowship with them. Fine saints, fine ministers, the little lady that just sang this piper, I believe her name is, such a lovely boy. It should be going all the time to Christ everywhere. All these things should be working wherein it's a little later than you think. I believe we're near the I'm not standing too close to the microphone. Can you hear me better if I back off like this? Is that better? Uh, I don't I want you to hear what I speak, but I don't want to have my voice rebound. Now the acoustics here is usually very good. Uh, it was the last time we were here. I'd like to come back sometime if it would be pleasing to God, the will of God and pleasing to the people. And maybe we get such a place as this, instead of just having one church on the sponsorship, have all of them sponsored. And then we can come here for an extensive meeting. I will pray to that end if you'll pray the same. And then and maybe we could set it far enough ahead of time until the, we could get the precious trustees or whoever it is, the uh, overseers of this uh, auditorium now, the answer to building one much larger out here, and we could use it sometime for a uh, 10-day meeting or something, I believe that it would be wonderful to come. Anything that would be to please or to do something for God. And now, when I mentioned a few moments ago, Assemblies of God, now that's just one denominational church. We don't, for myself, as everyone knows that I was ordained at about 21 years old, and that's been about 31 years ago, in the Missionary Baptist Church, to which I have nothing evil that I could say of the Missionary Baptist Church or any other denomination. I've cut this stand that if the Catholic Church, a Catholic, a Roman Catholic or Orthodox or whatever he may be, if he's looking to the Catholic Church for salvation, the person's lost. If the Baptist is looking to the Baptist Church for salvation, he's lost. If the Pentecostal is looking to the Pentecostal Church for salvation, he's lost. But if the Catholic, Pentecostal, or Baptist, Presbyterian, or whatever, if he's solemnly trusting in Jesus Christ, he's saved. Because it's by faith are you saved, and that by grace. Catholics can be saved, Baptists can be saved, Pentecostals are saved, because that we all accept what Christ did for us. It's our own personal faith in a finished work that Christ did for us. Therefore, I have never drawn a denominational boundary or had a barrier. I've tried to reach out take everyone in my arms and point them to the cross. And that's, dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power 
until all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ever since by faith I saw that stream, thy flowing wounds supplied, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. That's my, that's my uh, slogan, I might say. And then next, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you all for all your kindness and mercy and your generous hands that you shook to me and, and the kind things that you've done in your letters and we're answering just as fast as we can. And the little prayer talk that I have prayed over, many of them I haven't got out yet. And if you want one, it's absolutely free. Just write me at Jeffersonville, Indiana, and I'll send you one. Just if you can, uh, post office box 325, but if you can't think of that, just Jeffersonville, Indiana. It's a small city of about 35,000, and our mail is great. Now, I'm not trying to get your address, uh, for I have no programs at all. I have nothing, no programs. We have books, but them books, we buy them from somebody else to bring them to the meeting. I have no radio, no television, no nothing else. I'm not under obligation to nothing or nobody but God. Okay. I can go to a church, little or big. I don't have to have any certain amount of money. There's nothing designated. I'm 51 years old, been preaching 31 years, and never took an offering in my life. That's right. I have no money hooked into it at all. People give me little things so I can live I, and help support the ministry, which is appreciated. That goes into a foundation at uh, my church. Myself, I get $100 a week for my living. And outside of that, well, that's all I have. And uh, that's all I need. And I, I don't believe that the gospel of Christ was ever made to commercialize. I believe that it's not to be done. And I do not believe that, that servants of Christ should try to be showmen. I believe they're supposed to be humble, take the place of Christ, who we, his life in us represents him to the public. Now, we find out that the, he said the foxes have holes and dens, the birds have nests, but the Son of God doesn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't have to be that way. I think the sweetest word in the Bible, one of them, Father, I sanctify myself for their sake. He had a right to a wife. He had a right to a home. He had a right to the, to the pleasures of life like we have, the comforts of life at least. But he was sanctifying himself because he was training 12 men that would stir the world with the gospel. And if he could do that, how much more are we to sanctify ourselves? Now, let's just one more word to him before we approach the word of the author. Let's approach him once more in prayer. Lord, it's your word. We pray that you'll make it real to us tonight. Now, we know that it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And as we read thy word, we know it will not fail. Our word will fail because we are mortal and we are finite, but thou art infinite and the immortal, eternal God. And as I approach thy word, I approach it under that type of faith that your word cannot fail. And if I read this word, then if the people who have gathered here tonight go home, 
They can at least say they heard something eternal because it was your word. Then, Father, if the gospel came not only by the hearing of the word, faith came by that, but the gospel was to manifest or demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit that's in the Word. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Then we're taught over in the book of Hebrews that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting asunder even to the mire of the bone, and the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts of the heart. The intents of our heart and mind, the Word of God can reveal it, because the living Christ, who is the living Word, comes into our living soul, reveals the secret of the heart, for he is the Word. Let the Word speak, Father, in the meditation of our hearts. Be acceptable unto thee, O Lord. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of St. Matthew's Gospel, the twelfth chapter, forty-second verse, we'll read this for a portion, uh, for a text. And the queen of the south shall raise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. <clears throat> Jesus, in the previous readings of here, I wish when you'd go home to read this glorious chapter. And Jesus had been upbraiding them and rebuking them because they had not believed him. He came, he said, in his Father's name, and they received him not. He said, Another will come in his own name, and then you'll receive him. And that's right. We come and make our churches and have our denominations, and you're ready to say, Yes, I, I, I belong to the Baptist, the Presbyterian. You receive that easy. But to receive Jesus, uh-uh. They don't want him. Now he said, I come. And when he did come, the people did not recognize him. He came just exactly the way the Scripture said that he would come. He came and he was the Jewish Messiah. And not only Jewish Messiah, he was the promised seed of Abraham that we have so taken through the week of studying and over at the church. And he came to his own, and his own received him not. And he had presented himself to his own. And he came to Israel, which was the, the church of God, and the people of God, and the nation of God. And he came to his own, and his own received him not, but as many as did receive him. To them gave he the power to become sons of God, to them that believed on his name. Now we find out that there was three classes of people. We spring from three sons of Noah, Ham, Cham, and Japheth, and there was a, that was Jew, Gentile, and Samaritan. If you notice, Peter, by revelation, was given the keys to the kingdom because God knows that he had the revelation of the Scripture. For he asked his disciples and all, Who does man say, I, the Son of Man, am? 
And one said, You're Elias, and the other said, You're the prophet, and one said, Moses. He said, But I'm asking you, who do you say I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, the son of Jonas. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. See, it was a revelation. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. See, it was a direct revelation that had been made known to the apostle that he was the Son of God. Now, if the church of God still exists, then those in the church has come in there by spiritual revelation, because that's how we come into the church. But many of us tried to come in through doctrinal theology and so-so and all right, but I speak nothing against that. But I'm trying to differentiate between what is really truth and what is part truth. The revelation that God reveals to you that that is his Son who died in your stead, then that's the revelation, who he is. Now, Jesus had come and he had proved to the people by every means that the Scripture had said that he was the Messiah that was they looked to come. Now many of them had drawn the wrong conception of his coming, and that's the reason he was misunderstood. Pardon the expression, but that's the reason tonight he's misunderstood. They draw the wrong conception of what he is. Now. I believe while I was standing there, I heard uh, my associate here read the scripture of uh, saying that the campaign themes are always Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. A quoted in Hebrews 13, 8, that uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, when he came, the, the, the great group of Israel was certainly eyes open, wide, looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for him in the way that they had been taught that he would come. Well, now, any good spiritual thinking or even uh, intellectual thinking person would know that he did not come contrary to the Scriptures. He come contrary to their understanding of the Scriptures, not contrary to the Scriptures. But they had been taught by their teachers in such a way that the teachers had had the wrong conception of him. And may I not hurt feelings by saying this, but perhaps it could be that way again. You know, if he is the same yesterday and forever, he probably will come a little different than what we are expecting him to come. That's only a, a logical, sensible way to approach such a thought, I would believe, in this day. Now, we will see then that when he came, the Messiah was supposed to be, according to the prophet Moses, who was uh, really the one who predicted his coming and said, The Lord your God shall raise up a prophet likened unto me. Now, any good Theologian would have known that that Messiah had to be a prophet, or his or his attributes that followed him would be a prophetic, because that Israel was always commanded to believe their prophets. 
They always would. But we have to draw this under consideration, too, that not all can come to Christ. For he said, No man can come to me except my Father draws him first. And all the Father has given me will come to me. Look at the millions that received, that did not receive him in that day, and the minority that did receive him. Now let's place that over on today and look at it squarely the way it should be. Now, we see as he comes that he did do the sign of the Messiah, and as many times through the week we have tried to produce that and show it over and over and over again, all the way from Genesis to Revelations, we found it. Is that right, class, this week? That what the Messiah would be. We was anointed. The prophet always has the word of the law, a true prophet. A prophet said that they have eyes and cannot see. They could not see the miracle. They have ears and they cannot hear. See, Isaiah said so. So we know then that that they had to be that way. Not that God intended it for it to be that way, but by his foreknowledge he knew it would be that way. For he is infinite. So if he's infinite, he knew the end from the beginning, and that's the reason he could predict the end from the beginning. He knew because he was God. And if he is not infinite, then he is not God. But we know he is infinite, and we are the finite. We get things so mixed up and so settled that we're right, and God with his infinite mind just rides so far over the, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, said God. His ways are higher than our ways. So we must submit ourselves to his ways. Now we've heard of all kinds of things taking place. We've heard of Elijah's. We've heard of uh, Virgin Mary's all over the country. And we've heard of all kinds of sensations and everything like that, which I am not here to speak against that. I am here to say that any angel of God or any messenger of God must stay strictly in the Word of God. In the old Bible, they had a way to find out whether it was the truth or not. They had, in their Mosaic laws, they had what they called the Aaronic priesthood, and then the Levitical priesthood, rather, and Aaron was the high priest carrying the breast, on his breast the stones of each birth of the patriarch. They hung that breastplate up. And then it was called the Urim Hundum. And when a prophet prophesied, if he went to the Urim Hundum and he told his prophecy or told his dream, and that supernatural light didn't reflect back in a conglomeration of lights, then I don't care how good it sounded, it was wrong. They, re they refused it. All good teachers know that. that they, they refused it. It had to witness to the Urim Hundum. And now, of course, when that priesthood ended, then there was another priesthood come in, which I the order of Melchizedek. Now, now today, we do not have the birthstones of the patriarch, but we do have a year of London, and that's God's Bible. Jesus said, heavens and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. And in the book of Revelations, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, he said, if anybody will add to or take away from it, the same will be taken his part out of the book of life. This is the year of Sunday. Joseph Smith met an angel. It wasn't scriptural. Now, if any angel or anything that's contrary to God's word, this is the full revelation of Jesus Christ. So therefore, stay with it. Then, 
Jesus making himself known to his brethren by speaking to Simon and telling him who he was and who his father was, Simon recognized immediately that he was the Messiah. Do you believe that God, before the foundation of the world, knew that that thing would happen like that? Jesus said so. He knew him before the foundation of the world. So God had called him. Now, when Nathaniel came, he was also, as I heard the brother here speaking a few moments ago, that was proven. And Nathaniel, being a scriptural man, he knew that that was the Messiah, what the Messiah would do. The woman at the well, as he referred to it, how many more times? Zacchaeus up in the tree hiding from me, stood down in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going home with you for dinner. Brian Barney made us going down in the crowd and them throwing stuff at him and screaming and making fun of him. Yet his faith stopped him and not only stopped him, but it healed the man. A woman touched the borders of his garment, went off and sat down. He said, somebody touch me. And the apostle rebuked him for it saying such a word. He looked around over the audience till he found the woman and told her of her blood issue and said her faith had saved her. See, it was perfect, the sign of the Messiah, and they refused to recognize it. Now, my contention is, is this on the scripture, that he, he did those signs before both Jew and Samaritan, but not to the Gentiles. Not once because the Gentiles wasn't looking for no Messiah. But are we Gentile Christians tonight looking for a Messiah? He promised us in Luke. He said that when we see the sign of Sodom, that's the way it would be at the coming of the Son of Man. Remember that? How that Lot down there, the borderline believer down in Sodom, the church member, all messed up with the world and his theology all messed up. But there was a modern Billy Graham went down there and they preached the gospel and brought Lot and them out. But Abraham was already out. The word church means called out. The called out group. In other words, God calls for separation. The world today calls for mixers. Many of the people choosing your pastor, you want to get some one who will mix, who will go down and go bathing on the beach or take a little friendly drink with you or, or tell a little smutty joke or something. That's too much in the Protestant realms today. But the people want to mix her, but God calls for separator. Separate yourself from it. Don't that up with unbelief. Uh, that's God's way of doing it. The world has a different conception. Now, as we look further into the Word, we find that the church called out the elect. There was an angel who spoke to them and gave them a sign. And there was a strange man dwelling in flesh that Abraham later called Elohim, God Almighty. And uh, so he noticed that this man was sitting at his back turned to the tent. And just uh, the chapter before this, God had met Abraham and given him a name from Abram to Abraham. Sarah to Sarah and princes, and he addressed them both by their priestly or God-given name, Elohim, H-E-M, taking part of his name, Abraham, from Abraham, part of God's name, because he was to be also a father by seed to many nations, a father of nations. Now, if, uh, you notice what's taking place there. Now the angel with his back turned to the tent, he said, Where is Sarah, thy wife? How did he know her name was Sarah? How did he know he's married? How did he know it? 
all these things. Said she's in the tent behind you. And he said, I'm going to visit you according to the time of life. And Sarah laughed within herself. When she did, the angel said, why did she laugh saying in her heart that I'll not be able to do this and I'm too old and so forth? How did he know that? Now, Jesus plainly, now listen, close, don't miss it, and be just as reverent as you can. Notice, that promise was made just to occur again at the coming of the Lord. Now, Jesus being misunderstood, what did the, they say when they see him doing his signs of the Messiah? They said he's Beelzebub. Well, now we know that Beelzebub was a devil. He was the chief of the devil. And otherwise they called Jesus in perceiving the thoughts in their heart uh, a fortune teller or a mind reader or something like that, which we know that that is of the devil. Certainly. As, uh, it's a perverted, something that's been real, been perverted. The devil cannot create. The devil only perverts what God created. There's only one creator, that's God. What is a lie is a truth misrepresented. What is a, a bad woman is a good woman that's been perverted. See, anything that's perverted is of the devil. Anything in its original condition is of God. See, God is the only creator, and the devil cannot create. He has to pervert what God has created. Keep that in your mind. Now, they call the Spirit of God that was doing these great signs to prove that he was Messiah, they call that an evil spirit. And Jesus said that I will forgive you for this, but when the Holy Spirit comes, to do the same thing, one word against it will never be forgiven. And this world, neither in the world that is to come. Watch how stern. Now before judgment can strike, mercy comes first. Then after mercy, then there's that, if you spurn mercy, there's only one thing left, that's judgment. Judgment follows Mercy after it's been spurned. They spurned Christ. Judgment followed. They spurned the prophets. Judgment followed. And as much as it hurts me as an American citizen, I must say that this nation has spurned mercy. So it's ready for God's divine judgment. Look what's gone to this nation. All kinds of things. Uh, a great man like I just spoke of a few minutes ago, Charles Fuller, Billy Graham, Jack Shuler, Earl Roberts, Tommy Hicks, Hill Osborne. Great man has crossed this nation, shaken it, and it continually waves in sand, blindly moving right on. Some of them will be influenced by the, the ministry of these great men and will come in and join church and go right out and live the same way they always live. When you profess the name of Jesus Christ, abstain from all sin. Let every man that names the name of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says, depart from sin. But what do we do? What is sin? Unbelief. There's only one sin, unbelief. 
You commit adultery, you smoke cigarettes, you curse, you drink because you're an unbeliever. If you was a believer, you wouldn't do that. Them things are attributes of unbelief. A true believer is soundly solid based on Christ. And there's nothing on shaking. But because that you're waving, pulling off to one side, that's the reason you have these things happen in your life. True unadulterated faith will hold you safely against the cross. It will. Now, he upbraided them and told them, because if they did this, he began to say, and I'm coming down to my text now, that the queen of the south should rise and condemn the generation. They had told him that he was Beelzebub, just a few verses behind this. And he'd rebuked them for their unbelief. He had told them that they had a day, but they had spared it. He said once, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've hovered you as a hen does a brute, but you would not. Now you're left. Now I believe that the great Holy Spirit in the hearts of men and women in America who are Christians can feel it crying, Great America, America, how often would I have given you a revival? How often I would have gathered you together, but you would not. You love the things of the world more than you love the things of God, so there you are. Then there's nothing left but divine judgment will have to fall. Separation from God. Now, we find out that through all generations, God has had gifts. Every generation through the Bible, I've got many scriptures here that I could refer to here, that, that through the different ages that God has had divine gifts. And now I want to say this to the clergyman. I want you to tell me or mention to me in history one time of any historian or any time that God ever poured out his blessings and had a revival, but what supernatural signs followed that revival? Every revival, they've had healings and speaking with tongues and demonstrations of the Spirit in every revival. It's the signs of God. God, where God is, there's signs because God is a sign-working God. Jesus never did say, did you believe me because I had my Father's teaching? He said, if I do not the teaching of my Father, don't believe me? He said, if I do not the works of my Father. Don't believe me if I do not do the works. We have went and made schools and Bible schools and seminaries and built fine buildings, but that certainly was not the commission. That's all right. I can't say nothing evil against them. They played their part. But that wasn't a commission. The commission was going to all the world and preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel was to demonstrate the power. It had to be. What's the next verse say? And these signs shall follow them that believe. The manifestations are the demonstrations are the works of the word made positive. When the word is preached, signs of the word confirms the word to be true. 
If it doesn't, it doesn't come from the heart of faith. It doesn't anchor in the heart of faith. Did not Jesus say that some sowed seeds and when it did, it fell by the wayside and the birds gathered it? Some went in stony ground and riches of the earth uh, choked them out like briars and so forth? And did he say some went over and bought four of the hundred bowls? See, you must first let the word fall in the right type of faith. And in that faith produces what the word says. Because the word is a seed. The word of God, right here, is a seed. That a sower sowed. And every seed will produce its kind if it's put in the right atmospheres and the right conditions. You can't hide it. You can't hide genuine life. You take natural life, botany life. Let that sun come warm. Now, like in my country, the little seed drops off out of these flowers. They die. They have a funeral procession. The, the skies cry down great big October tears and bears them in the ground. The seed bursts. The pulp runs out. That is the end of that flower. Just let the sun, the S U N, who has control of all the life of botany, and then when it begins to shine upon the ground and get it in a certain temperature, no other temperature will do it. Nothing else will put that color in there but the sun. So you let it get in the right temperature, the right atmosphere, and that little germ of life hid somewhere in the dirt will come forth again. Did you ever lay concrete rock and notice in the spring of the year, where is your thickest of the grass? Right around the edge of the wall. What is it? It's that seed that was buried under that walk. And when the temperature gets right, the season gets right, you can't hide life. It'll work its way right through and come stick its little head up and praise God. Because it's life. You can't hide it when the S-U-N is the shining. Just as sure as the S-U-N brings body life, the S-O-N brings eternal life. And you can't hide it. It'll shine forth. There's something has to happen. Jesus said if they hold their pieces, stones will immediately cry. Something takes place when God, the eternal God, begins to shine His Spirit down. Those that are ordained to life will recognize it. They'll come and walk in the light, live in the light. And he said, Very I say unto you a little while, and the world, cosmos, which means the world order, will see me no more. Yet ye shall see me. For I, as a personal pronoun there, I will be with you, even in you, to the end of the consummation, all the way down. Go ye into all the world, not just to this generation, all the world. You that say that the, want to say that the sign of the apostles was the only one had the Holy Spirit, only ones that could do miracles. How can you read the history of the church and say such a thing as that? What about Polycarp? What about Irenaeus? What about St. Martin? What are you going to do with those men? Columbia, Columbia, all of those, what are you going to do with them? Hundreds of years later, 
Peter, they still healed the sick, raised the dead, spoke in tongues, cast out devils. Now they're going to hide it. As long as that tongue, S-O-N of God, Holy Spirit, shines on the church, signs and wonders will appear. Can't hide it. There. Read this with me, Mark 16. Go ye into all the world. It's never reached all the world yet. Preach the gospel. Demonstrate the power. How much? To every creature. See, these signs shall follow them that believe. How far? All the world. Every creature. This can't hide it. We never did say, go teach the word. Go preach the gospel. Demonstrate the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you don't know the word, how will you know the sign? These signs. You've got to know the word to know what you're talking about. If you take it from some man's conception, then you never got it the way Peter got it. Then you'll draw your own idea about it. But Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father, which is in heaven, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Now, to see whether it's right or not, go back and get the pre-Nicene Fathers or the Nicene Council and the, the historians of the age and find out whether in each time when people believed that word, it produced just exactly what it said it would produce. I've seen that long ago where he went into the gardens of Egypt and got some wheat that was put in there about 2,500 years ago. Yes, more than that. About 3,000 years ago. Put in there by Joseph. Some of the wheat had been laying there for all those years and planted it in the ground and it produced again. No matter how long this gospel lays here, 2,000 years we've had mockers and scoffers in saying the days of miracles just passed. But put that word in the right kind of a heart, it'll produce again just exactly like it did. That's the because it's the Word of God. You've got to come into a channel of faith. As long as it laid in the garden, it didn't mean nothing. It just stayed there as a memorial. I was surprised in Rome. They've got authentically 19 different nails that were nailed in Jesus' hand. Everyone said, we got it. Our church has got it. We got it. 19 nails that they can prove. There's only three. Everybody wants a nail. You're not long ago, a great, you understand what I mean. Great one come forth to the piece. Here's a piece of the original cross. What difference does that make? I don't care how many nails you got. How many pieces of cross you got. We need to produce this word again, but not on a cross, on a nail, but on the living atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. That brings forth the result. God's word. Under the right atmosphere will produce exactly what it says it'll do. Amen. It's got to be in the right atmosphere. You can't lay it over to seminary or some Bible school that don't believe in signs and wonders. It'll never, ha it'll never break forth and bring life there. The atmosphere is wrong. But you've got to put it in the right atmosphere. What kind of an atmosphere? A surrendered atmosphere. Stay there until it does start growing and taking life. That's the idea. Then it is say, 
If I do the teaching of my father, he said, if I do not the works of my father. That, the teaching, anybody could teach it. Well, let's see the works be done. You can say, oh, he's a great God. Sure. We go into Bible schools, and I'm condemning them, but I'm trying to, I hope you don't understand me wrong. I'm not condemning Bible schools, but I'm condemning it once you say that you, you teach these things and then knock the whole foundation out to say it was in some other age. It's just like giving you a canary bird vitamins to build him up good strong wings and put him in a cage. What good does it do to do that? Why build his wings up if you're going to keep him caged up? What the church needs today is the opening up of these barriers that's holding them into Pentecostal Holy Ghost violence pour back into the church and it'll change the atmosphere. That's right. They'll hatch. It'll bring forth eagles instead of chickens. <laughs> chickens, that. He's a bird, but he's a half-brother. He don't know about the heavenlies. He don't know what needs to be up there. One of the most pitiful sights I ever seen was I went down to a cage one time, a little Sarah and I, we were walking around and there was a, I heard a noise and a big eagle, someone had caught him and he'd just beat all the feathers off of his head, the ends of his wings. And he'd get back across the cage and he'd come flopping and he'd hit his head against his wings and the feathers of flying, he'd fall back. I seen him laying there and them big gray eyes looking around. Why? He was a heavenly bird. He lives in the heaven. That's where his heart is. But through the kindness of man, had trapped him and put him in this cage. And he was trying to beat himself out with his own power. Beat that against the side. I thought, that's pitiful. I walked away from there almost crying. I thought, I wish they'd sell it to me. I hate to see anything caged up. I hate to see the church caged up. Yeah, just beat yourself to death and everything else with all kinds of soup suppers and dinners and there's classes and societies and things like that. My, he wasn't born to be like that. No. And I noticed the old fellow, I thought, if I could just, I thought, well, that's a pitiful sight. Sarah so said, Daddy, that poor bird. I said, yes, honey. So what's he beating his head? And I said, he's trying to get out of that bumper. So what makes him want to get, why do he just sit down and be satisfied? I said, he can't. See, honey, his nature is up there. That's where he ought to be. Them big wings is getting to hold himself up there in the air. To look down, fly high. Not trying to wait now, I thought that's a pitiful thing, but I know something more pitiful. To see a church that calls itself the Church of God, the Church of Jesus Christ, caged up in a cage, when actually they can read the Bible and find out they're not born to be caged chickens in a barnyard. They're supposed to be eagles that can set their wings. In the rushing mighty wind that comes down, they don't have to flop, they just go out to hold their wings and fly away. Up into where all things are possible, into a place that takes them out of this caged in places we set. Days of miracles is past. There's no such a thing as divine healing. There's no Holy Spirit. Oh, it's pitiful. What can you do? Now, Jesus speaking to them, He gave them some signs. And as my time is just about gone, I'd like to refer to some of those signs. Watch here, he said, just a verse behind it. As the days, as it was the days of Jonah, the prophet, God in all generations has had signs and wonders. He's had servants that he dealt with, sometimes just one. 
Did you know that? He got down the days of Noah to one. And he, uh, he gets to his type, also said so in the coming of the Son of Man, and so forth. He got down to a place where he's always had his servant. Now listen close in the next few minutes now. I think exactly about 15 minutes to be on time. Notice, always when God sent his servant and sent his gifts to his servant, if that people believed those gifts, it was a golden jubilee for the people. But if they rejected them signs and gifts that he gave them, it always ended up in chaos. Now, ask any clergyman, you won't hear any historian, which I know is sitting in our presence with some of the best historians that I know of. I've just been talking to them. And that is right. They always fail when they fail to recognize God and his gifts, his signs. God always has, where God goes is always signs and wonders. Oh, he promised it. These signs shall, not maybe they will. Yeah, amen. Huh? Amen. That's always been foretold it would be. Now, notice, in, he talked to him about the days of Jonah. He is upbraiding them because they failed to see his Messiah's sign. But the woman at the well recognized it, didn't she? She said, said go get your husband. Said, I have none. Said, that's right, you've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. She said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, we know when the Messiah cometh, this is going to be the Messiah's time. We know this is the Messiah, do this. But who are you? Jesus said, I'm he. And she ran into the city and said, Come see a man who's told me the things that I did. Isn't that the very Messiah? Isn't that what the Messiah is supposed to be? And the man of the city believed on Jesus because of the saying of the woman. Do you see it? Now, Jesus is there doing those things, and they turned him down. So he said, as it was in the days of Jonah. Jonah. Everybody always made fun of Jonah. I'm going to take up for Jonah. Jonah had a lot more credit than people give him credit for. A lot of them said, oh, he's an old backslider. No, he wasn't. The footsteps of the righteous was order of the Lord. And Jonah was a prophet. God did that purposely. Let him take that ship to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Always felt sorry for him when he was in the belly of that whale. You know, some people always look at their symptoms, saying, look at my hand. I was played voice no better. It never will be like that. You don't look at your hand. You look at a problem. Played for a boy here a few years ago. Oh, father and mother come got me to pray for him. He had black diphtheria. And the heart it went so low till the cardiogram showed that it was just gone. And they made me dress up like some kind of a Ku Klux Klan. The doctor didn't take me in there. The doctor was Catholic, and he wouldn't let me go in because I'm married and had children. And I said, Doctor, <clears throat> would you let the priest go in there to give him the last rites? He said, Yes, but you're not a priest. He said, The priest wouldn't have children to go to. I said, But he said, in confession, please. He said, Go ahead, and he let me go. So I went in there, and the old father and mother got on one side and said, Brother Branham, all we want you to do is to say the word. I went in there and prayed and laid hands on the baby. I said, the boy is about 12 years old. I said, Heavenly Father, this is a promise. This is what you promised. I lay hands upon this young man now, and I ask for his life because if you promised it, these people believe it, and they sent me to come here, this is all I know to do is lay my hands upon him because you said, these signs shall follow them that believe. I laid hands on him, walked away. I said, now the Lord bless you. And the father grabbed the mother and said, oh, sweetheart, isn't this wonderful? It's the boy never showed one step. And the little nurse back to the father and mother just crying, hugging one another, rejoicing because the boy's well. See? Well, the boy hadn't changed a bit. And that little nurse said, 
said, well, uh, uh, sir, do you realize what this is? He said, how can you act like that when your child dying? He said, my child's not dying. My child's living and going to live. He said, well, she said, sir, I want to tell you something. He said, you see that electric cardiogram thing? I don't understand what she said, but that when that hand or what it was went all the way down here, it's never been known in medical history ever to come back again. Said the boy's dying. Said his heart's just beating so many times now to the minute. Said it'll never come back again. And besides, the disease has got him in such a fix and it's, it's so advanced till there's nothing can be done. The boy's dying. And I'll never forget that gallant old father. He took that little nurse and put his arm around her. She's just a kid. And he said, "Look, lady." said, I don't blame you. You're, you're, you study to watch that chart. So that's all, that's what you know. You're studied and told by history and by your doctors and everything. And said, you're looking at that chart. That's all you know about it. But said, I'm looking to a problem. Yeah. You know who that boy is? It's Bob Bosworth in South Africa tonight preaching the gospel with the married man of the family. That's right. Why? It depends on what you're looking at. See? If you look at God, look at his promise. Now, if I always thought someone had a good case of symptoms and had a right, it was Jonah. Not whale belly. That way it was whale belly. That way it was whale belly. Everywhere he looked, it was whale belly. Now, I don't think there's anyone good that bad off. <laughs> they're, they're just in, uh, that, that's a terrible condition to be in. But do you know what he said? He said they're lying vanity. I'll not look at them. But he said, once more, will I look at my holy temple? When Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed when that pillar of fire came in and smoked behind it and went down behind the holy place. He dedicated the temple and said, Lord, if I, children, be in trouble anywhere and will look at this holy temple and pray, then hear from heaven. And he believed that would be right because Solomon was a servant of God and he prayed. And what did God do? Now, I couldn't tell you scientifically. He might have put an oxygen tank down there. I don't know what he done. But he kept that prophet alive for three days and nights in the belly of that whale. Is that right? Well, now, if he'll do that on them circumstances, a faith in a, a man that finally backslid, Solomon did, his wives brought him away from God. If he had that much confidence in Solomon's prayer, and that kind of a condition under those circumstances, how much more ought we tonight, under these circumstances, to look away from our symptoms to the right hand of God, where Jesus stands with his own blood, making intercession upon our confession? Once more I look to thy holy temple, where the living, resurrected Son of God stands with his own bloody clothes before God to make intercession. Plead for us as a high priest upon what we confess that he's done. My, look what God did. I read a little story not long ago. I might inject it here if you don't mind. Notice, you know all the people of Nineveh, it was a great city for your side, St. Louis up here. All right? We know that they went down there and they were all and got away from God and they were heathens. And they were worshiping idols. And their occupation there by the sea, of course, were fishermen. All the men went out early in the morning, thousands of boats out on the sea, and they brought in fish. It's a great import and um, they exported fish and things for a living. And now the god of the sea was a whale. And you think of all the men out there on uh, out there in the fish boats, out there fishing. And all the women and children stand on the bank waiting for hubby to come in, bring in the fish and the catch and so forth. And the first thing you know, the god of the sea raises up, the whale, runs up to the bank, licks out his tongue for a gang plank, and the prophet comes walking right out of his mouth. Sure. No wonder they repented. 
Sure. They repented because the God had produced the prophet. And they listened to his words because he came there supernatural. And notice, Jesus said that a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after signs. Did he say that? Right here it is. He just said it. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after signs, and they will receive no sign except, like the prophet Jonah, was in the belly of the whale three days a night, the Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth three days a night. Now, what was the sign that a wicked and adulterous generation would receive? The sign of the resurrection. Well, now tell me, when did we ever have a more wicked and an adulterous generation? When perverbs is here in California increasing 20 to 30 percent every year. When in our own government they claim that 35 to 40 percent are homosexuals, as it was in Sodom. Tell me when we ever had any more wicked, why people do things that the ancient people wouldn't think about doing, the cruel punishment. Wicked, unbelieving, unregenerated. Every evil imagination in a man's heart, like it was in the days of Noah. That's the generation he was talking about. A wicked and an adulterous generation will receive what kind of a sign? The sign of the resurrected Jesus. The sign of the resurrection. They would receive it. I said so right here in the scripture. Now, then he goes down to the closing text. And as it was in the days of Solomon, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Solomon, the queen of the south come from the utmost parts of the known world to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, let's take Solomon in his age just for a moment. Solomon was a great man of God whom God gave a gift to. His gift was discernment. How do you know that? Sure it was. All right? And look at all of Israel. How many Bible teachers here know that that was Israel's golden age? Sure it was. They built the temple. They done greater things. There's no wars or nothing. Well, sure, why? They were all with one accord, giving praise to what God had done for them. Every one of them rallied around that great gift. And Israel was at peace with the rest of the nation. Let me stop here now. If America would take its science and try to find research to cure cancer, or something that would do somebody good, instead of trying to, oh, here, I'll change that. If America would turn to its gift from God and would receive God's gift that's in the nation now, they wouldn't have to build bomb shelters and things to protect themselves. The whole world would fear this nation. There's only one weapon against communism, and that's Christ. Christ is what communism fears. When I was standing there in Russia, or not in Russia, but in Finland, when the little boy, you read it in the magazines and things, when that little boy was raised from the dead. And there, when you're in Russia, when you're 40 miles off of the place you were born, you had to have a visa to show that you got business to be away from 40 miles before you was born. And when that went out over that radio that day, with that little boy had been raised from the dead from laying there, many of you people sat right here that wrote that in your Bible two years before it happened when I told you. How many in here? Tell me they heard, and I, I told you to write in your Bible that there'd be a resurrection of a little boy that I crossed through the West and all that. How many sure remembers that story? Raise up your hand. Look at that. All right, over there. Two years before it happened. That little boy wasn't just exactly the way it said it would be. Sure. God always does it just the right way. Now, 
Just the way he says it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. That's the reason his word, his time, and everything will be just exactly like he said it. No matter who you don't believe it, it's going to be that way anyhow. So, when I come to, to the Messa Holly that night, they put about 30,000 in and make them go out and another 30,000 come in for me to speak to. And then, when I was coming down the street, here's a little Finnish soldier, uh, never shaved yet, just boys. About six of them in front, six of them in the back. And there stood those communist Russian soldiers standing under that Russian salute when a pass by with tears running down their cheeks. They had them Finnish soldiers and hugged them. Anything that'll make a Finn hug a Russian and a Russian hug a Finn will change wars and forever. They said, we will receive a God like this, a God that's got power, a God that can show himself God. What it is, our churches that just bottleize it down to a lodge, just more than a lodge. It's a baptism into the, the body of the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. It's that's the gospel, that's Christ, that's God. Notice him. Sure. Solomon, everybody rallied around him. Everybody would say, oh, everybody more to call him. They said, oh, come see the great gift that our God gives. Come see the great gift that our God gives. When God gave us the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's our gift, the Holy Ghost. God sent us the Holy Ghost. What do we do? Laugh at it. Call them holy rollers. Run them off on the corner. Tell them they're insane. They're out of their mind. They don't come from our schools. They're nothing but a bunch of tongues, people. That's the reason we receive judgment. What did they do on the day of Pentecost? What did them Jews do last and made fun of it? What did they do a few years later? Titus besieged the gates and slaughtered them right in there till the blood went out the gates and turned the place upside down, tore down the temple, and then scattered ever since. Right. We'll get the same. You've turned down the gift of God, the Holy Ghost. You've substituted a handshake or a letter from some other church to take its place. The Holy Spirit is not a handshake. Neither is it a letter. It's a gift of God with power from a Now it's the Spirit of God. It lives into it, that makes it, and shows it, and proves to the people by signs and wonders that it is God. Hallelujah! I know you're calling me a holy roller after this, but uh, maybe I am one. I feel very religious right now, anyhow. Notice, God, demonstrations, powers, proving himself that he is God. That's scripture. You cannot deny it, but what is the truth? Gifts of discernment. Now, all you think the people passing by say, oh, you should come to our nation, see our great, powerful God. Well, he, he works among our people. He, he does great signs and wonders. We got a king called Solomon. You should see the great discernment that man's got. Why, it's, uh, it's beyond thought. Well, you know, faith cometh by hearing, doesn't it? Hearing the word of God. So the news went all over the world, everywhere heard about this. And they all begin to fear because, not fearing Solomon, but fearing God, because the living God was showing. Finally, the news got way down into Sheba, way down, about hundreds of miles down, about 300 miles down south, way down across the Sahara Desert. Measure it on your map and see how far it was. Now, they didn't have television in them days, and radio, and newspapers, and telephones, 
They just travel by, by the lip to the ear. The caravans would come through and bring the news. And everybody coming down into Sheba would say to the little queen, Sing, you should go up into, uh, up into Palestine. You know they got a God up there that's so blessed them people? They're all with one accord. There's not no friction among them at all. And they got a brother up there. They call him Solomon. They've made him the king. And they tell me that God just uses him for everything they got they have need of. He just was able to tell them. You know? And faith cometh to heart. Hearing. And blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. So the little queen began to hunger. She thought, you know, I'd have to go see that. Now, remember, she's got a lot of prestige, you know, because she's the queen. So I suppose she said, before I do this now, I better go ask our pastor whether I can go or not. Because I have to get permission from my denomination because that's another denomination. So I better go ask my pastor if I can go, my priest. So I can see her walk over and a little guard with her. She said, Holy Father, may I have the permission from you from this great holy church that we have here in Sheba? May I have the permission for you to have a revival up in uh, Palestine? May I be able to attend that revival? Nonsense, my daughter. Now, if there was such a thing as that, I've heard that nonsense too. There's nothing to it. It's just a bunch of holy rollers. There's just nothing to it. But look, if there was any power in any God, it would be in our God right here. It would come to our organization. It would be ours if there's anything to it. Oh, brother, you know, the devil takes his man, but never his spirit. <laughs> That's right. God takes his too, but never his spirit. He took Elijah, but his spirit come upon Elijah. Then come out on John the Baptist, and he took his son, Jesus, but the Holy Ghost come back in the church to do the same work. So he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And it keeps going on down. And the devil takes his man, but never the spirit. Now, two spirits are still warring with one another, right on down. Now, said, no, you cannot go. Well, she said, listen, you know, there's something down in my heart. You know, it's something about it. When God gets a hold of the human heart, they do funny things. <laughs> Say, but you know what? I've had... Holy Father, I have a, a dear bishop, general overseer. I have had such a great desire to go. I've always heard of those meetings, and I would like to go. Now, look, child, we'll just excommunicate you right off of the book. We'll just take you, your name right off of this organization if you go. Well, she said, but look, I want to say, I won't do no harm. I'll come right back down here, of course, as soon as the revival's over, as soon as I go up. But you cannot go. I've made that declaration, and that's what the rest of them says, and that's what we have to stand by. Now, if there's anything like that going on, it would be right here with us. I can see that little queen, God moving on her heart. She squared herself off and said, I want to tell you something. <laughs> we need more of that. I've been in this thing for years and years. My mother was in it. My grandmother was in it. And all I've seen is a bunch of papers, a bunch of writing and talking about some God, but I haven't seen any kind of a move at all of any. I don't want these dead things. They tell me they got one up there to live, and it lives in his people, and that's what I want to see. Yeah. Amen. God give us some more queens of Sheba in Long Beach. <laughs> I want to see something that's got life in it. I want to see something. I've been reading all the scrolls of the old of their books up there, and they tell me that God is a God that knows the secrets of the heart. And they tell me that that man Solomon up there, the pastor, is just able to do these things, and it's wonderful. And I'm going to see it. If you do, I'll just take you right off the book, but you might as well take me right now because I'm going. I like that. I'm going anyhow. Well, I noticed when she had what she cost her. You know, it's not cheap to come to Christ. 
That's what's the matter with you American people today, us American people. Everything's so easy. No suffering, no nothing. We haven't had no war, so we just act as nasty as we want to. I went into Switzerland, and you'd hear them ringing the bells, you'd think the millennium was on. That's right. But what do they do? They don't even believe that Jesus is virgin born. They got the old Swingley doctor and believe that he was the son of Joseph. But they ring them chimes to, I, I, I thought the millennium had started. Woke me up one Sunday morning. I didn't know what was taking place about an hour and a half. And there come about 80 or 90 glass top buses from Germany. You know, Switzerland don't have any wars. They don't have to worry about anything. They're just as nasty and independent as Americans are. And you come right down through there, and the first thing they'll come down to, to Germany, come down. And when we went to the meeting at night, Brother Arden, I sitting here. He was right there. What was it the Holy Spirit called? Everyone was a German. And that's the Swiss sitting right there. With all their chimes and so forth. See? It takes suffering. You have to dig. Oh, my, if you only knew. It's not easy. Anything is handed to you on a platter, you don't enjoy it. Certainly, you can't appreciate what's given to you. God told Moses, he said, I'll give you Palestine. I'll shut out all the houses and hung up the curtains. You always go ahead up and live there. But that been it. They never would have enjoyed it. He said, I'll give it to you. It's full of giants. You'll have to fight every inch of the way. But every place the soldier your footsteps, that's possession. Go take it. Sure, I'll be with you. That's the way divine healing is. That's the way the Holy Ghost is. Everything you can walk behind you is footsteps, is possession. Keep walking. Keep going. That's the way. You just move your finger, quit moving at all. You move that much today, move that much more tomorrow, and that much more the next day. Just keep on moving, 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 moving. Footsteps is possession. Notice, quickly now. That girl had a lot to face her. What she had to do now? She said, you know, she had some good, reasonable things. She said, you know what I'm going to do? She said, I'm going to take some money along with me. If it's, uh, if it's the truth, if it is, I'm going to support it. But if it isn't, I'll bring it right back. Oh, brother, couldn't that teach Americans something? Yes, sir. Support things that lads and make fun of you. That's right. Programs that lads, they call you a warrior or and yet you support it with your money and your own missionaries over here living on two bucks, little plate of rice a week with no shoes on their feet. Shame on you! Put your money on something that's got God in it and move it on. Not because it's all flowered up with six million dollar buildings behind it and things like that with theology and take their missionaries up and give them a mental examination by a worldly psychiatrist and see whether they got enough mental power to be a missionary. God is going to judge that by the Holy Ghost. Sir, we don't need that stuff. We need God. Notice then, how far can people do we just get away? Now, the little queen, she said, I'll t- if, if it's not right, I'll bring the money back. So she loaded on all kinds of jewels and frankincense and everything. Now look, another thing, where she'd have thought with all this money, she had to cross the Sahara Desert. And you know, Ishmael's children is out there, and they were all robbers. What if they'd overtaken that little caravan of hers, just a few eunuchs and some girls along with her? What would have happened? Well, they'd have robbed her in a minute and took all the money. But you know, if, if God is calling to your heart, you don't know no fear at all. You just keep going. You don't care what anybody else says or anything else. You keep moving when you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Remember, too, no wonder Jesus said she'd stand the last days and condemn this generation. You know how long it takes her to cross there? It takes three months, 90 days. And she wasn't in an air-conditioned Cadillac, either. No, no. She crossed on the back of a camel. To hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. And the same thing here. The Holy Spirit's here. And people won't even cross the street to hear it. 
uh, greater than Solomon is here. She come up in the place, watch when she crossed, and she got up and come up to the courts of Solomon. Now imagine, could you imagine, I'm going to make her an American citizen. She come in, I'll go down and sit down, then hear that holy roller just a few minutes, because the neighbor over here, my maid told me where to go. If he don't say the right thing, this is like, I'll just let up and walk out. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> He'll either say what I believe he ought to say, or I won't listen to him at all. That's where we're standing tonight. If he says one thing that my pastor said was wrong, I'll just get that up and walk out. Uh, you'll stand with her too in the day of judgment, and then you'll be judged together. For okay? greater than Solomon is here, the Holy Spirit's here. Okay? And she's come 90 days on the back of a camel through the hot burning sand to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She didn't come just to go and say, I'll go in and I'll find out. And if I don't like it just right, I'll get up and get out. No. She built her camp right out in the forest. She said, I'm going to stay there. I'm convinced. I'm going to take the scriptures and I'm going to find out. She done read them all through what God supposed to be and I'm going to see if it's right. So I imagine the next morning she cleaned herself up in her little maze and she went over to church and she got her seat and sat down. After a while, the trumpets played, the hymns sang, and Pastor Solomon come walking out. Walked out, and the first thing you know, maybe they had the, the line started, maybe they had a number, a card, I don't know how they did it. The first one to come up, little queen says, now I'm going to see and just sort of watch and see where this is going. Now see where that's really discerning. There come a person up, maybe it was a man. And first thing you know, she's seen that Solomon's just a man. So she said, now I want to see where that God is. I see there's a man, but I want to know where that supernatural God is. So she watched that man. Said, yep, he talks like a man, talks like a man, looks like a man, he's a man. So. But now where is that a supernatural coming from? So when this man stood there, the first thing you know, the spirit of the germ would come up on Solomon. And he told him the secrets of his heart. I imagine little King's heart began to beat. The next one, same thing, next one, same thing, next one, same thing. She went home that night, maybe, and prayed out in her tent. Next day she come back, she said again. She said, I believe I'll get up there far. <laughs> so she, or something, whatever it was, I'll go up. So then they got finally heard that, her number come. Now we can stay a long time on that, but at the same time, we're fixing the toes. Prayer come her time. And when she finally come up before Solomon, the Bible said, that there wasn't nothing hid from Solomon that she wanted to know. Amen. God just poured it down upon Solomon and told her every secret that she wanted to know. Isn't that wonderful? You know what she said? She stood. Now, she didn't go back and say, I believe it's mental telepathy. I, I believe it's... Uh, no, no. She stood and she said, all that I heard was wonderful. But it's greater than what I thought it was. It's greater because it worked on me. <laughs> Amen. Jesus said she'll stand in the last days with this generation and condemn it. Because she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of God. What was it? She saw something real. The world is living today for something real. Don't you think so? They want something that's got a foundation. Not long ago, and I'll close on this little story I'll fix to tell you now. I used to hunt in the North Woods. How I love to hunt. Now, honey was a fellow named Carl, very fine man, but he's the meanest man I ever seen when it comes to being cruel hearted. He would shoot little bombs just to make me feel real bad about it. And I'd say, Don't do that, buddy, don't do it. He'd say, Oh, preacher, get next to yourself. You're chicken hearted. That's what's the matter with you, preachers. I said, No. I said, I don't believe it's wrong to shoot a bomb if a, I was a game warden for years. And I said, If the law says you shoot a bomb, the devil's don't do it to be mean. Abraham killed a cow, a calf, and fed it to God. All right, you kill Bond if the law says so, but it's not kill eight or ten of them just to make a fellow feel me uh, bad. He had eyes just like a lizard, anyway. He, and he, he always, I didn't mean that like that. 
He's just kind of odd looking sort of thing. And he used to want to make me feel real bad. So he said to me, one day, he was up there, I went up to hunt and he had a little whistle. He'd change his little whistle, he could blow it and sound like a little baby fawn crying for its mammy. You know what a little fawn is, a little fella. And called his mama. I said, Bert, you wouldn't do a thing like that, would you? He said, oh, Billy. Said, get next to yourself. That's the way you preachers, you're too chicken hearted. I said, no, not Bert. That, that's not right. I said, don't do that. Well, he was a good hunter. You never had to hunt him up. He knew where he was at. So we'd go out and we had a great time together. He's a good, oh, he's a dead shot. And so we'd, we hunted every morning. We'd always put some uh, hot chocolate in a thermos jug back here. There's about six inches of snow on the ground, good tracking weather. And we went up through the notch and over on the presidential range. It got about 11 o'clock in the day, and it was way up in the season. And when them white-tailed deer, you talk about Houdini as a escape artist, you ought to see one of them. So they, uh, they can really get away. And so the brush is thick, and they get under brush piles and everything and hide through the daytime and then graze at night. So then uh, they won't come out unless you just run them out. So Bert stopped his little clearing, about all perhaps as big as the main floor of this auditorium. He stopped about 11 o'clock and started reaching back in his coat. I thought, well, time we'll just have a sandwich and we'll separate. And he goes one way, I go another. We've been walking for about three or four hours and right up the mountain. And he'd go down the other side and I'd come down. We'd meet him sometime that night at our, at our regular pitch camp. So um, I see him reach back and I thought he was going after his hot chocolate. And when he came out, he had this whistle. And I said, Bert, you wouldn't blow that thing. He said, looked at me, them lizard-looking eyes. And he said, and put it in his mouth like this and blow it in time. like a little swan crying for his mom. And I, never, I didn't think it worked. So just about that time, just across the clearing, a great big mother doe stood up. She's a beautiful thing. And she's close enough that I could just see her big brown eyes. And, and I looked at him, he looked up at me and grinned like, I said, Bert, you wouldn't kill that mother, would you? And he looked at me like that. And he got down and blowed it again. Now, usually that's unusual for a deer to do that. And when he blowed it again, that mother stepped right out into that opening. Now, that's strange. They won't do that even any time, hardly, especially hunting season. They had their guns as far as me. But she walked out into that opening. What was it? She wasn't a hypocrite. She was a mother. There was something in her with genuine. It was a mother. A baby was in trouble. And she wanted to find where her baby was. It didn't make a difference how much danger it was. The danger didn't even bother her mind. I see them big ears now, just standing up like that, like mouth chewing like that with big brown eyes looking around. She looked up at me like that. He pulled her. We never carried a load up in her gun. And so he pulled, put that lever down on a 30 off six, 180 grain bullet mushroom. He leveled down like that. And I thought, oh my. I thought, but how can you do it? I said, that precious mother after her baby? And I, he just kind of sniggered and leveled out. Just a dead shot. I know the boy, but then a second or two, he'd blow that precious loyal heart come out of her. So I thought, he was a real shot. I thought, how can he be so wicked? And that mother, given that display of real motherly love, her baby was in trouble. She didn't care about it. And when the boat went out and the gun raised up, the deer saw the hunter. She looked. And she spooked, uh, spooked me and just jumped, you know, just a minute. And she looked at the hunter, but she'd heard that baby. And she knew that her death was right on her. But did she run? No, sir. She'd look and see where that baby was first. Oh, I thought, such loyalty. Such loyalty. And that precious loyal heart, Bert, are you going to blow it out of that mother like that? Yeah, I seen leveling down like this. And I thought, I just, I just can't look at it. I turned my back and I thought, I said, Heavenly Father, 
How can he be so wicked? And yet be such a nice man in one way. And be so cruel in his heart. To blow that precious mother's heart come out of it. That loyal heart beating after that baby. How, well, why, why could he do a thing like that? And I noticed the gun didn't fire. And I, and I waited and I waited. I thought, why didn't he fire? I looked around and the gun fell and he going to <laughs> And he looked around at me. And those eyes had changed. Great big tears were running out of he threw the gun on the ground and grabbed me for the pants leg. He said, Billy, I've had enough of it. He said, lead me to that Jesus you talk about. What was it? He seen something real. He seen something that wasn't put on. He seen a real mother's love that was right in the face of death. It wasn't a sermon I preached. It wasn't a song that was sung. It was a display of something that was so real that he seen something real. And that mother's loyalty led that man, he's a deacon in a Baptist church then, mother's love being real. Oh, sinner friend, or a lukewarm church member, wouldn't you like to have the love of Jesus Christ to display to the world as loyal to Christ as that mother was to her baby? Would you raise your hand and say, pray for me, Brother Brown, and I'll be that type of Christian. Raise up your hand, Brother. God bless you. God bless you. I want something real, Brother Bram. I want something that's lasting. I want to be as much Christian as that dear was a mother. Put your hands way up now, so I can God bless you. God bless you. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, the hands were so many, I could not number them. They were all around, everywhere up in the balcony, in the front, in the back, on the sides, and all everywhere around through the main floor. They raise their hands, Lord, because that they, they believe in. They want something real. They, they want something that's not cut on, something that's, that's just real. I pray that you give it to them, Father. Give unto them the real Holy Spirit. May they return to their church happy and rejoicing. Now it's written in the Word, St. John 5, 24. He that heareth my word, that's what I've been preaching on. And believeth on him that sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come to the judgment, but pass from death unto life. Now, Father, I hold that at your word. I hold it before you, and you who are omnipotent, omnipotent, and you know every hand that went up. Why did they put their hand up? Because there's a spirit in them, and there's a spirit standing by them that said, you're wrong. You want to be that kind of a Christian. Put up your hand now and I'll save you. And they raised up their hand. They made a decision. That decision was that they desired to live a different life. And you said, He that heareth my words and believeth on him and sent me has everlasting life and will not come to the judgment but passing death into life. You also said, No man can come to me except my Father draws him. And all that the Father has given me will come to me. I'll give him everlasting life and raise him up at the last day. Now, Father, that's your word. And as your servant tonight, I, I claim every one of them souls for you. I claim them every way. I pray, God, that as they have come now to you, to this fountain filled with blood, that they'll be saved safely and will go away from here tonight and seek and find the baptism of the Holy Spirit that will seal them away from the things of the world. And while we have our heads bowed, there's no place to call them all the call here. But I just wonder if every one of you that raised your hand would just stand up to your feet, rest of you, keep your heads down. 
Just raise up your feet, just a minute. After you were sincere, raise up everyone that raised that they raise their hands, stand up. All that raise their hands, everywhere. That's right. Come up everywhere. Just remain standing just a moment. Everyone that raise their hands, stand up. Is that all now, everyone? In the presence of the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit that you now have believed upon because of the preaching of the Word and the manifestation of His Spirit. I do not believe, I believe every one of you with all my heart, I do not believe that you just raise your hand just for the fun of raising it. I believe that you raised it because you were sincere. You believe that you were wrong. And if you're willing to confess your wrong and stand like you have now, then I believe that God in His Word that keeps every word that he's from has forgiven you your sins. Not because that you feel like it, not because that you deserve it, but because that he promises it's his word. And you are willing and know that you've been wrong, but you do believe that he died in that great black cloud hanging over the cross that day, he was standing your judgment. And without anything at all, you do accept that as your pardon. If you will do that, accept his grace for your pardon. Would you just raise your hand to him? Everyone standing up, raise your hand. That's all I ask you to do. In your heart. God bless you. That's a hundred percent. Now I want you people that are Christians to raise your hand and just turn around and shake hands with everyone of them and stand up and say, Welcome into the kingdom, precious pilgrim. Shake hands with a new Christian. Tell them that you're thankful to God. Each one of you. Say it. Yeah, I'm thankful. Invite them to your church now. Tell them, Come over to my church. Come over with us. And you might receive Christian baptism. That you might receive the Holy Ghost. That's right. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Now, let us just thank the Lord now. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for these souls. I may never shake hands with them here on earth no more. Never had the opportunity. Maybe I hope I do. But if I don't, on that day when the fog is low, the old ship of Zion is blowing, when we start to board the ship, I'll meet them. I'll see them there, Lord. With their tickets in their hands, says that Long Beach, Brother Branham, on that Sunday night. Oh, God, how happy I'll be. To know that I'll meet them there, the young will be old, the young will be, uh, the old will be young there forever, and there'll never be any more sickness and sorrows or death. What a wonderful time it will be. I thank you for this, Father. They are yours, and I present them to you as trophies of Jesus Christ, His Spirit, and His presence here tonight. I give them to you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, because they are love gifts to Christ. Amen. Now, you may be seated. God bless you. Now, before we change the position of the meeting for a prayer line, let's just sing one time with you all together before we call the prayer line. I love him, I love him, because he first loved me. Or can we sing? I love him. I Isn't that beautiful? Now I want you to bow your heads and sing it softly and sweetly in your 
tenor, bass, wherever you're singing, just sing it the old-fashioned country style now. Something that hurts down in her life. Tells her what has been. 
And if he can tell her accurately what has been, surely she can believe what would be then. Is that right? Now, how many know that that's what Jesus did? Raise up your hand. That's what he said. That's exactly Now, if he's here, now he's here in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a panoramic, just like the well was in St. John 4. A beautiful picture again, a man and a woman. First time meeting in life, this lady and I, for the first time in life to meet. And now it's right here where we've never met before. Now, if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, now something would have to reveal what she's here for, and she'd know that truth. Is that right, lady? Now, somebody would have to reveal it. Something would have to come to do it. Isn't that right? Amen. Well, then, if it comes, now she could say, it's the devil. Then that's up to her. If she'd say it was Christ, there's only it had to be spiritual power. But she says the devil, then she'd get the devil's reward. She says Christ, she gets Christ's reward. But if she'd say the devil and it was Christ, then what's she done? She sealed herself forever from the kingdom of God. Is that what Jesus said? When the Holy Ghost comes, speak a word against it, it'll never be forgiven, no matter who you are. You say, But I preach the gospel, Brother Bram, sword and priest. They were raised through generations of priests and they preach the gospel and Jesus strictly told them. And they lost their lives. Right? Just one way to God, that's all. That's the way it is in life. Now, you can stand right out here. You don't have to stand. You stand right back out this way so the people can see you and see me. Now, being, now here's like the woman at the well. Now, I, she's not the woman, and I'm not the Lord Jesus, but his spirit is here. And he knows, can tell her. Now, if he would, now, you say, Brother Bam, what did Jesus do there? Well, the Bible said he had me go by Samaria. I don't know why. The Father sent him up there because he said in St. John 5, uh, St. John 5, 19, Verily I say unto you, the Son can do nothing in himself but what he sees the Father doing. How many know that scripture? Jesus never performed one thing until God showed him in a vision what to do. Is that right? St. John 5, 19, Verily, verily, absolutely, absolutely, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing in himself but what he sees the Father doing. That does the Son likewise. Now, then if this woman with her hand up, that she's a stranger to me and I'm a stranger to her, then if the Holy Spirit, by his promise, what I've taught you, will come here and will do the same thing that he did then, reveal the secret of the woman's heart, and, or do what it is and tell her what, well, something about herself and let her be the judge whether it's right or not. How many in here will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your healing and all around it or raise up your hand and you'll believe it? There's at least 95 percent. Of course, some wouldn't believe it no matter what you do. It ain't for unbelievers. It's just for believers. There's something in his crowd that believe. That won't hurt to believe. No, they can know it's true. I have no more idea what you were here for than, than, than nothing. But God does know what you're here for. If he will reveal it to me, then you'll know where the truth is, whatever he does. Now, yes, if the audience can still hear my voice, the light that you see in the picture standing between me and the woman, she's moving away from me. Yes, I see. She, her examination shows that she's got a swelling stomach. The stomach. She's got a bad stomach swelling. That's why it brings up her hand. You believe? 
Now you said you believed that he was revealed. Do you now believe that her is and I don't know what I told her. Because it wasn't me that told her. It's just healing yourself to the spirit. Now I keep feeling that ever needed. Somebody said, He guessed it, he guessed it. You don't guess these things, all right. See if it was a guess. She'd be a nice person. You are a Christian. I'm feeling spiritual. You're welcome. Same thing that Jesus said to Nathaniel. Uh, Israelite. Uh, let's see if uh, everyone guess. I see it coming again. It was a stomach condition. Swelling stomach, he said. That's right. That's what the doctor said. Swelling stomach. And then it, here's another thing. That you've got some kind of a rectal trouble. That's right. Is you, you think it's some kind of an allergy, like or some kind of itching sensation. That is true. There's no cure for it. But there is a sign. If God will tell me what I see your name on that paper there, he's got before me, I see him stand there. Do you believe me, dear prophet? Miss Martin? It's over. Now, pretty, what about that? Now, you believer out there, believe with all your heart now. Just have faith. Don't doubt. Believe with all your heart. Now, keep real. Just keep your position. Sit still. I never seen the woman. See, I never healed her. God healed her. How did he heal her? Her own faith did. The healing's already completed at Calvary. Your salvation was completed at Calvary. How do you know that? Is that right? All you have to do is accept it. Now, there's another lady. And we were, our first time we were strangers to one another. Uh, God knows us so called. Well, then, if the Lord Jesus will reveal to me something that, uh, and I wish you'd seen me getting looking like that. That's just because it's got maybe weak vision. See, the audience knows, anyone knows. Jesus, a woman touched his garment. He said he got virtue when virtue is strength. You know that. And Daniel saw one vision. He was troubled in his head many days. Well, then, if, if Jesus, being the Son of God, if one woman touched him, well, what would he do to me? He his sinner saved by grace because he said, the things that I do shall you also more than this shall give you. The King James says greater, but get the regular translation says more. More to give you this come. Now, if the Holy Spirit will reveal to me what's your trouble or something, as you did the other ones that went by, would you believe with all your heart? Would it cause the audience to believe with all your heart? See, God doesn't do this for show. He does this because he promised he would do it and for his glory. Now, I'm telling you, it's not me. I don't know one thing. I'm holding my hand here before God in this Bible here. This woman's a stranger to me. All of you are strangers, as far as I know. But if God will reveal by the Holy Spirit, now the Bible says the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, even the discerner of the thought of the heart. Now, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he was the Word, wasn't he? That's the reason he discerned the thoughts, the scene, so forth. He was, he was a God prophet. That's the reason the prophets, how could they discern it? Because they were the Word of God. The Word of God came to the prophet. Is that right, audience? Amen. Now, if the Word of God still comes, then the Word of God can, Hebrews says the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts. His Word, His promise, come into human flesh, makes it a discerner of the thoughts of the heart. Now, you're not here for yourself. Someone else you're here for. You're a husband. That's right, isn't it? He's in a dying condition. 
You think God can tell me what his trouble is? Cancel the bladder. That's what I think. Will you believe that God will heal you? I'll pray the same thing. Let me lay my hands on you and you represent him. Lord Jesus, bear this man. Bring us to pass, Father. I ask humbly in your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, sister. I don't doubt. Do you believe that now? Jesus said, as you have believed, so will it be in Faith. Nobody will ever know what that does to you. My audience is blind. I just have faith on it. So you're the next person. You and I are strangers, I suppose, to one another. Or you've been in a healing line, but in a healing line before, somewhere else, in some other city, or in Lake Street in California. In a, oh, oh, you, I prayed for you before at Lake Street. How long ago has it been? Or many years ago. Therefore, we wouldn't know one another. No, but God does know us both. And if you believe that God could make known to me something another, uh, that he, of course, it comes the same way. Then you're here for something else. Now, you would have faith then, wouldn't you? You have faith. All right, if the Lord will reveal it. I trust that he will. You're not here for yourself this time. You're here for someone else. A brother, very, very ill at the point of death. Now, I'll tell you something that you know, that you might believe me to be his prophet, or his servant. Excuse me. That word prophet, thank you, the people we see in that three times. But it's his wife. She's in a serious condition. She's about to have a nervous breakdown because of waiting on him. You have a real strange feeling on you now, don't you? Take that handkerchief that's on your hand while that feeling going and lay it on. They'll recover. Don't they? You believe with all your heart in it? Don't doubt. Have faith in God. Sitting right there, low blood pressure, lady looking at me. You have a prayer card? You don't. All right, sorry, she's done calling you. Seriously. You have to take blood transfusion. That is right. But when I was talking to that woman, something happened to you, a real strange feeling went over you. If that's right, raise up your hand. It's the lady. All right. And you said it's in your heart. Lord, let it be me tonight. Now, stand up with nothing for you. Stand up on your feet. Your troubles are over, you know. Jesus Christ makes you well. I want to ask the audience one thing. What did that woman touch? I do not know her. I've never seen her in my life. If we're strangers, wave your hand and like this, sister. Wave your hand like this so people know if we're strangers. I don't know you. What did she touch? The high priest. She's 20 yards from me. She never touched me, did she? But she touched something that spoke through me and told her what she was praying about, what she said, and how she felt. Is that right? Do you believe now? With all your heart. I don't know. Please don't see. If you do that, please see these men singers or watch them ever move on me. And as soon as they see it, I have enough to take you to the platform. So there's a move disturbed. See, I'm in contact with your spirit. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm here trying to help you. 
If you're, uh, nothing won't go wrong. You'll catch your bus. It's okay. Just wait. Just two or three more or something. How do you do? We are strangers to each other. I do not know you. But God does know you. If, how many of this is going to be? Has it been enough for a confirmation? Two? Just, I thought I had a minute there. Well, that one, maybe it's just me. All right. Yes, sister. God knows your heart. He knows my heart. But if he will be on any shadow of doubt, we being strangers to one another, revealing himself to us, will it make you believe? Will it make the audience believe? How many knows that I, it's totally impossible for me to do that? Let's see. Now, put your hands down. How many accept it to be Jesus Christ according to his promise and his word? Raise your hand. That is true, my brother sister. I'm telling you the truth. This is his word. Maybe a little strange from what you've ever seen, but it's his promise. He promised he would do it. I have no idea what you're here for. I've never seen you, so therefore I have no idea of what you're here for. But God does know what you're here for. He knows you. He knows me. He knows all of us. Is that right? But if he will reveal to me something about you that uh, I don't know, then you'll know it comes from him. You've had something like a stroke that bothers you. That's right. You're Swedish, aren't you? Yeah. Nah. Touched on me, thank you. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I can see that water rolling and I can see where you're from. Mm. Yeah. You've had an accident and it knocked you out. And you were out for quite a while, several days. And then you're, you still have evil effects from it. You won't have it no more. That turn light right around you. Jesus has healed you now. Go on your road and you may have Are you believing with all your heart? Now you say you're looking right at those people, Brother Branham. You're reading your mind. I am not. Here, come here, lady. Touch my hand. If God will reveal me looking this way, watch your trouble, and you'll accept it more. Then your heart troubles less you just go on your little way down. You believe that with all your mind? Here, the Bible says the angel down there that was a man that was anointed was called Elohim, that he had his back turned to the tent. Is that right? How about if I turn my back and you pray? I feel...